you all after uh, Thanksgiving break. It seems like it was a long time ago. And then you guys, you come back and you have to get kind of, you, you, it's almost like you step off the treadmill after running for a long time to get to Thanksgiving. And then whew, when you get back on it, you just kind of jump and run until the end. And you're almost there. But before you go into your last week of classes and into the week of finals, God's called you to this place to, uh, to speak to you by the power of his spirit, to hear you sing praise to him, and uh, to, to help you know him better from his word. And that's what we're going to do together uh, tonight as we continue our journey through the book of Genesis. And tonight we come to maybe the most definitive, it certainly could be made the case for, that this is one of the most definitive moments in all of history. A moment that changes the outlook of the world. But it happened on a very ordinary day to a very ordinary guy. And that's one of the things that makes it such an extraordinary event. When we meet the guy Abram that uh, we're going to take a look at tonight, he's a successful businessman with a growing organization. He's a brother who had tragically lost one of his brothers way too early in life. He's a son who had just buried his father after a very long, very full life. He's a husband and a faithful one. We know that because his wife, we are told, is unable to have children. And while Abram could have chosen to take another wife, he didn't. He, he remained with her even though he knew that this was a tragic thing for he and for his family. The closest thing that he has to a son is a nephew named Lot. And Lot is the son of his brother who, who died. And in many ways, Lot becomes his adoptive son, the one who's going to inherit all of his stuff when he dies. When we meet Abram, he is an ordinary guy with a pretty ordinary life who has an encounter with God. And this is the encounter that we read about in Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 27. If you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, uh, you can turn to it. Uh, if not, you can just listen to the story. Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 27. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Now while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot of Haran, a son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were still in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Pretty ordinary, right up until this abrupt moment. As the closing chapters of chapter, uh, excuse me, the closing scene in chapter 11 of Genesis kind of draws down, there's nothing in the text that indicates Abram is anything special. No idea that his descendants would become a great nation. No idea that he would bring about the salvation of humanity. The text doesn't even say anything about Abram being a particularly righteous man, a good guy. Right? There's only one other guy in Scripture up to this point that's called from God, Noah. And in spite of all the sin that's around Noah's and in his society, the Bible says Noah was a righteous man and blameless in the eyes of God. It doesn't say that about Abram. For all we know, as chapter 11 closes, Abram is just as much a pagan as anybody else living in Babel, which is the story just before this. That's his neighborhood. It's where he grew up. Nothing particular that should make him different than the people he grew up with. He's not in some God-centered vacuum. He's in the shadow of Babel. Until God intervenes and disrupts his very ordinary life. And we just take the closing moment of chapter 11 and wonder about for a moment. That we should never think that the current circumstances of our lives dictate what God can do. Put limits on what God can do. No one would have looked at Abraham and Sarai at this moment in their lives and said, you know what, someday people are going to tell stories about them. They are going to be legends. Thousands of years from now, people are going to be talking about Abraham and Sarai and the great adventure of their lives. No. They're ordinary. Regular folks trying to get by. But in this moment, something changes when God intervenes into their lives the limits that they had set up get expanded now here's what I want to wonder about with you tonight on the beginning part of this story what or how do you answer this question God can't do something great in my life because I what? How do you answer that?
for Abram. It was that he couldn't have children. He has no one to take over his business, his land, his herds, his tent. God had forsaken him. To be in a society like Abram's and not be able to have children was the picture of God forsaken. If God loved you, you'd have a family. Someone to take over when you die. He is the picture of what it means to not be loved by God in his society. He is cursed. And he lived with that burden on his back for 75 years. Being the poster child for God forsakenness. The uh, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says this about Abraham and Sarai. He says they are quite without potential when, we, when they meet God. The speech of God presupposes nothing of them, but carries in itself all that is necessary to make a new nation. And this speech of God changes everything. It's not Abraham's giftedness, not his some unknown potential for greatness. It is the presence and the power of God that transforms Abram from just a regular guy into the father of nations. But it's an unexpected and it's an outrageous interruption of Abram's very ordinary life. It always is. God is not casual or coaxing to Abraham. He interrupts his life with an in-your-face invitation. Here's what I want you to do, Abram. I want you to leave your nation and the land that's familiar to you. I want you to leave your community and the support network that that gives you. And I want you to leave your extended family and go to a land that I will show to you. For Abram to leave behind all that he knows is a terrifying prospect. This may sound inviting to us, right? I mean, we are transient people, traveling people, right? If you go through your undergraduate career and don't at some point get to study abroad, it's almost like a disappointment. It's just kind of who we are. That's not true for Abram. Foreigners are not beloved and welcome in his day. They are people without support, people without resources. Your security and your livelihood are due largely in part for Abram to the people that you are a part of, to the community in which you live, and to the social network of family that you have. God is telling Abram, leave it all and go someplace that I'm going to show you, but I haven't showed you yet. It's an outrageous call. It's not adventurous. It's terrifying. 
Now, there's a kind of a pattern here that's developing in Scripture that starts in Genesis, and it carries on through the Bible. God is not limited by our current circumstances. And he invites us to not be limited by them either. In fact, God's call seems always to be this outrageous thing, and an answer to it requires a radical kind of trust. God calls Noah to build a giant boat on dry land because there's rain coming? Right? God tells a political exile with a warrant on his head, go back to the land where you have a warrant and tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. It just keeps going on and on. This God who is not and refuses to be limited by our current circumstances and who invites us to not be limited by them either. The very thing that makes Abram's life safe and secure is the thing that God says, leave behind. You know, for us, I think the call could be different. It might be to leave behind. But so many of us are eager for that. We are restless. If God were to tell us tomorrow, I want you to go down to Tijuana, Mexico and be about the work of reconciliation there. Some of you, you're on the, put me on the plane. Man, I'm ready to get out of here. Especially when it's getting cold. Right? I mean, we are just eager to go. It's actually one of the keys of our privilege. It's our security to be transient, to be mobile. It's one of the reasons you come to a place like GVSU. You get a bachelor's degree from here, you can go anywhere. You're no longer stuck. One of the key differences between poverty and prosperity is the, the ability, whether it's perceived or real, to change your circumstance. It's mobility. It's a privilege that we own as a result of being here. It's what makes us secure, knowing that we have more prospects than other people. For us who puts our sense of security in that mobility and our ability to make circumstances change for our benefit. To give that up might mean staying put. Might mean putting down roots and sticking around in a community for good or for bad. This is really hard for us. Because the fact is, we are the type that when the going gets tough, we get going. We do it with church. We do it with relationships. We do it with family. Heck, we get married and we do it with spouses. God's call for us, rather than leaving behind space, might be to leave behind privilege of mobility and the security that it brings to us. God is not limited to our current circumstances. He invites us to not be limited by them either, but to accept that invitation means giving up our sense of security, our sense that we can make life work on our own terms. Why would anyone do that? 
why wouldn't you do that? For Abram, verse 2 and 3 of chapter 12 tell us, the promise and the presence of God is greater than the security and privileges of his current circumstance. Leave behind everything that gives you your security and identity, Abram, because I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You will be an example of what it means to be blessed. I will bless anyone who blesses you, and anyone who looks down on you, I will curse. All people of the earth will be blessed because of you. That is a kingly offer to a very ordinary guy. A guy with something to lose by giving up what he has, but a guy with everything to gain if he will walk into that promise. It's an outrageous promise of blessing. It's a promise of blessing to a guy who knew his name was numbered, who had no name to carry on for his family, to a guy whose life was epitomized by being a poster child of God forsakenness. God says, I'm going to make you a poster child for blessedness. It's an incredible promise that God gives to him. But Abram has to lean into it. He has to decide. There is no middle ground that God offers him here. No, for Abram or for us. It's the paradox of faith that we are faced with. A paradox that we have to leave behind our ability to change our own circumstances and lean into the promise of a God who makes outrageous demands and outrageous promises. This isn't new. Well, it's new here, but it's something else that carries on through Scripture, right? We've heard Jesus say things like this constantly. Whoever wants to follow me has to deny himself, take up his cross, and come. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will take it up. The rich man says to Jesus, Rabbi, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks him right in the eye and he says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. He offers no quarter, no middle of the road. The only thing Abraham has to decide, Abram has to decide Will he trust God or not? That's the question for us. Whoever wants to follow me has to pick up his cross and come. Will you trust God or not? That's a question that comes out of the story of Abram. Question for each of us. The crazy thing about Abram is that he does it. He actually gets up and goes. Verse 5 says, He took his wife, his adopted son Lot, 
all his stuff, his employees, and he sets out a journey to where? We don't know. He didn't make a list of pros and cons. He didn't put out feelers, maybe send out a venture to see, well, let's see if this land's actually worth checking out. He pulls up stakes, and he goes. He went from town to town, not knowing where he was going. God didn't even tell him where to go. He left behind his old life, trusting that God had a new life ahead of him, and traveled about 400 miles before he heard God speak again. 400 miles of moving herds and tents and people and stuff is a long journey. Every day, he had to get up and say, where are we going today? Every day, he had to feed the sheep. Every day, he had to find water for the herds. Every day, he had to find food for his family and his employees. And every night, he went to bed not knowing what tomorrow was going to carry. Not being sure if he was even in the right place. Every day, Abram lived with the anxiety of being called but not yet assigned. Not being sure if he was exactly in the right place. He didn't know it until God actually appears to him in Shechem that some 400 miles later and says to this, uh, to your descendants, I'm going to give this land. Every day, he had to get up and walk. If it's true in Scripture, it's probably going to be true for us. That we have to go through the everyday experience of walking. It's a rare occasion, I, I would challenge you to find it, when God actually calls someone to do something in Scripture and then just kind of miraculously transports them right to where he wants them to be immediately. No. Every time, he calls them. And he says, this is where we're going. Let's walk. And as we're going, there are some things I want to tell you along the way. You know, in our fast-paced, frantic, everything is urgent, why haven't they answered my text yet? Why is this internet so freaking slow? lives. It's really hard to walk with a God who just seems to be unhurried, uninterested in our timelines, not interested in moving at that frantic pace, but a God who looks at our lives in terms of the whole and not just the sequential parts. This is actually really freeing. It's freeing because it means that there's nothing wrong with an ordinary day if we are moving just a little bit closer to living into God's promise. God is not limited by our current circumstances. He's also not limited by time and our sense of it. Abram was 75 years old when he started the journey from Haran to Shechem. 
it would be 25 years until he actually had the son that God promised. The one through whom a nation would be born. 25 years of walking. Of wondering. Of disappointment. Of frantically trying to make something happen. Of failing. And of walking some more. 25 years. I hope you hear that as grace for those of you who find yourself called by God here at Grand Valley. That if after four years or five years or six years, God has not given you some planning sheet and an Excel spreadsheet that says, here are the next steps of your life in sequence to the place where I want you to be. If God hasn't given that to you yet, you're in good company. I hope you can take some comfort in that. Ordinary days lived out here carry promise. Ordinary days of getting up, of going to class, making some food, having a fight with your roommate, forgetting about something, showing up to work, having your car break down. Ordinary days where you're walking just a little bit closer to the promise of God are days that are filled with grace, are days in which God might show up and completely interrupt our very ordinary lives. This is um, traditionally the season of Advent in the church, a season when we watch for the coming of Jesus in his full glory, a season where we wait for Jesus to show up in the midst of ordinary life, It was on another ordinary day when another very regular person got a visit from God. This one, a young woman. But the promise was similar. A childless woman gets a visit from God who said she too was blessed. That she too would have a child in spite of her current circumstances. In Luke 1, we read that an angel said to Mary, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll be with child and you'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. For he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. But you know then after the angel left, Mary had to go through the awkwardness of her changing body the insecurity of being pregnant and unmarried, the agony of trying to explain to her family what was going on, that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, the months of walking and waddling and waiting and wondering and scrambling and failing and getting back up and walking some more all the way to Bethlehem where she would give birth 
to Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abram. In Bethlehem, that promise that God made thousands of years before comes to full expression. I will bless you. All the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Our God is not limited by our current circumstances or our timelines. The invitation he gives to us is to not be limited by them either. As we walk further into this season, let's watch together. Let's watch for God to show up and see how he might want to interrupt our ordinary lives. Let's pray. Lord, our God, it is an amazing thing that you would just out of the blue speak to a man like Abram who, uh, as far as you tell us in your word, doesn't have much going on except for normal life. And yet you break into it and you transform him and you transform the world. God, we pray that that would be true in our lives too. We pray, help us to see you in the midst of ordinary life and the everyday walk that we do. We pray, give us courage to give up the things that make us feel secure and safe in order to walk into your outrageous promise of new life and resurrection in eternity. Lord, we are waiting for you. We are looking for you. And we pray that when you speak, we would not only hear it, but respond like Abram did. Hear our prayer now as we raise it up to you and as we sing them uh, together. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand?